Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Hey guys, welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was June 23rd, 1914. The Battle of Zacatecas, also known as La Toma de Zacatecas, took place when Pancho Villa and his Division of the North defeated the troops of General Luis Medina Barron at the city of Zacatecas. It's considered the bloodiest battle in the struggle to overthrow Mexican President Victoriano Huerta. The Mexican Revolution began in 1910 with a call to overthrow dictator Porfirio Diaz, who had ruled since 1884. Diaz said that Mexico was ready for democracy, and Francisco Madero campaigned successfully for the presidency. But Diaz had Madero arrested before the election, and Diaz was announced as the winner of the election. Madero called for a revolt, and revolutionary leaders began taking action against Diaz's government. Soon, Diaz abdicated the presidency, and in November of 1911, Madero became president. But all was not well. Madero was not a great leader, and he did not implement land reforms he had promised. Madero resigned, General Victoriano Huerta took the presidency in February of 1913, and Madero and his vice president were assassinated. Huerta was also a dictator, and revolutionaries began calling for his resignation. Pancho Villa was one of the revolutionaries who opposed Huerta. Villa led an armed faction of thousands of men, known as the División del Norte, or Division of the North. He allied with revolutionary Venustiano Carranza and his Constitutionalist Army of Mexico to depose the dictator. With a force of volunteers and mercenaries, he won victories against federal forces at Tierra Blanca, Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Ojinaga, Palacio, and Torreón. Zacatecas was an old mining town and railway junction that any attacker who came from the north would have to capture before moving on to Mexico City. The town was surrounded by high hills. Somewhere around 12,000 federal forces were in Zacatecas, but Carranza was resentful of Villa's success, and he did not want Villa to beat him to Mexico City. Carranza ordered Villa to divert his attack, but Villa decided to attack Zacatecas anyway. General Felipe Ángeles planned the attack. The Division of the North was 20,000 people strong, and they had artillery from U.S. dealers. On June 23, 1914, Villa's force captured the hills of El Grillo and La Bufa, where the federal commander of the city, General Luis Medina Barron, had placed his artillery. A federal colonel in charge of an ammunition dump detonated the arsenal rather than surrendering to federal troops. The morale of the federal forces began to falter, and many panicked. As they attempted to flee the city, Villa's cavalry began killing them. When Barron ordered the remaining troops to evacuate the city, they ran into 7,000 troops from the División del Norte in the town of Guadalupe. Villa's troops executed federal officers and demanded they join Villa's side or die. In the end, about 7,000 soldiers had died, 5,000 were injured, and more civilians were killed or hurt. Revolutionaries pillaged the city. The chaos ended that night. The bodies were burned or thrown into mines. 
but the city was soon hit with a typhus epidemic and famine. After this devastating defeat, Huerta's support waned. Huerta resigned less than a month later, on July 15th, and went into exile. Venustiano Carranza declared himself president in August, but Villa and Emiliano Zapata, another revolutionary leader, cut ties with him. The Constitution of Mexico was created in 1917, but fighting continued for years after. Historians disagree on the exact end date of the revolution. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. And if you haven't checked it out yet, you can listen to a new podcast I host called Unpopular. Unpopular is about people in history who resisted the status quo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast for people who can never have enough history knowledge. The day was June 23rd, 1868. Christopher Latham Scholes, Samuel Sole, and Carlos Glidden were awarded patent number 79,265 for an invention they called the typewriter. Scholes worked as an apprentice to a printer when he was young. He later became a newspaper editor and publisher, as well as a politician. He and Sole, who was a friend of his, also patented a page numbering device. They worked on the device at Charles F. Klein Stoiber's machine shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But Scholes and Sole soon shifted focus to work on a mechanical writing device. Carlos Glidden joined them on the project. They weren't the first to try to invent a writing machine. Many people in history contributed to its design. In the 16th century, Francesco Rampazzetto designed a crude machine that impressed letters and paper. By the 19th century, there were plenty of prototypes for the typewriter. People like William Austin Burt, Agostino Fantoni, Pellegrino Turi, and Giuseppe Ravizza worked on typing machines. John Pratt built a machine called the Tarotype but he was a Confederate during the U.S. Civil War and had to move to Britain to get his patents. His typewriter was exhibited in Britain and was described in the magazine Scientific American. Glidden, Soleil, and Scholes were granted a patent for the typewriter on June 23, 1868. The typewriter was made of wood and brass. It typed only in capital letters, and it was an understroke machine, which meant that the typist had to lift up the carriage to see their work. Rasmus Melling Hansen, an inventor in Denmark, created a typewriter known as the Writing Ball, which was patented in 1870 and commercially produced. But it wasn't as influential as the Scholes and Glidden typewriter. Scholes, Glidden, and others worked on the typewriter's design for several more years. James Dinsmore provided financing to help get the typewriter manufactured. Matthias Schwalbach contributed to the design, helping solve issues with the type bars and keyboard. They sold the patent and began working with E. Remington & Sons, a company known for making guns and sewing machines, to commercialize the typewriter. Mechanics Jefferson Clough and William Jenna led the effort to rework the machine and prepare it for mass production. 
and Remington began production on the Scholes and Glidden typewriter, as it was called, in 1873. The first Remington model entered the market in 1874. It was decorated with flowers and it introduced the QWERTY keyboard. This was likely the arrangement so that frequently used type bars were separated and jamming didn't happen as often. This model had little success though. It was expensive at $125, which would be around $2,800 today. And it wasn't as efficient as intended. But in 1878, Remington introduced its model number two. It had a shift mechanism to produce upper and lowercase letters. The carriage return was operated by hand rather than by foot as the previous model was. And the ribbon reversed automatically. The Remington number two has been considered the first successful commercial typewriter. Some people found the typewriter impractical or thought that typed letters lacked a personal touch, but the typewriter allowed people to write faster than they could by hand and contributed to increased efficiency in the workplace. Its success led to the creation of many competitor models. And as Remington got women to demonstrate the typewriter and put them in its promotional images, more women entered the clerical workforce. The typewriter continued to develop over the next century and remained an important tool in the office until the introduction of the computer. That said, many people around the world still use typewriters, like people in prisons and people in places where electricity isn't reliable. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.